If you are a guest, welcome. Good to see so many new faces today. If you would, when we pass the offering bucket at the end of the service, please empty your wallets. At, no, wait. <laughs> at the end of the service, when we pass the buckets, we're not looking for your money, but we would like to have some information that you were here if you're interested in us, um, and we're also interested in you. So I'm going to put some of these communication cards over here in the offering bucket. I didn't want to step too close to that speaker and feedback you to death, but uh, if you're our guest or how many of you do not get our emails and weekly updates and would like to? Nobody. Good. <laughs> so we, uh, this week we'll be canceling that program. Uh, if Seriously, if you would like to be on our mailing list, get our email blast each week. You can fill out one of those cards as well. Put your email address on there. It doesn't get spam or anything like that. We don't sell it to the highest bidder. Give it to Amazon or anybody else. So you're in good shape there if you'd like to have that. Well, man, it is great to see everybody here this morning. How many people were on vacation and fall break this past week? How many of you are looking forward to this coming week? There's nobody except a couple of moms are saying, yeah, I've had enough. I've had enough. Yeah, we've been on vacation as well, so we, we, we can sympathize with that. We've been out of town and just got back in. So, hey, it's great to take a break, isn't it, though, to get out, refresh your mind and things. And one of the tips that I learned this week was we went to Disney World. What's one of the things they always tell you at a theme park if you're in a big theater like this? Move to the center of the aisle. So if you have some space towards the center and you can scoot over a couple of spaces, I'd appreciate it as people come in late. They'll have a little bit easier time finding a place to see because we're, we're fairly full this morning, which is good to see. But if you guys could do that for us, you're more responsive than tourists are. Good for you guys. One other last thing in way of announcements and such before I, before I light into the sermon this morning, I want to tell you how much I appreciate the fact that and I never thought I would say this about the Journey Congregation, you guys have become pretty prompt and punctual. <laughs> we are starting at 10.30 on time every week. I don't know if you're noticing that. We have a five, three to five minute countdown. The band fires off and we get started on time each week. And you guys are a big part of that. And I thank you for being here on time and letting us get started on time. Now, if you're looking at your watch right now and saying, Holy cow, he's going to preach for an hour and 10 minutes because it's nowhere near 12 o'clock. You are wrong. Uh, we have shortened our services a little bit too. I don't know if you've noticed that. One of these days when this particular area gets too full, we'll probably have to go to two services in this location. And one of the things we have to kind of prompt ourselves to do there is to consolidate our service, make it flow a little smoother and things. So you'll notice the service may be, you know, 15, 20 minutes shorter than it used to be at times. So if you've observed that, you are correct. It's nothing, to, it's no oversight on our part. It's something intentional, just trying to break some old habits and make some new habits in our new facility here to, to aid our community. And, uh, man, we're still excited to be a part of this community. How many of you are enjoying being over here? It is fantastic. I walked in this morning and thought, Man, I don't have a bunch of setup to do. There's no mess to clean up. This is just wonderful, and, and we're blessed to have that. Well, this morning, we're going to be talking about Satan's top ten. And what this is all about, this is a standalone sermon, not a sermon series or anything. But I was trying to think of something that was just a good standalone topic, and I thought, what better topic than to reach the subject of how Satan tempts and fools us on a daily basis? How I many feel like you've ever gotten fooled by the devil? Yeah, everybody thinks, yeah, he messes with us. He messes with us continually. And today what I want to do is go over some, some passages of Scripture and ten things where the devil tries to trick us, and let's back that up with some Scripture 
of why we can prove he's a liar. How's that sound? Yeah, and that's real easy to apply, right? No. <laughs> no, it's a lot easier to talk about than it is to apply in our life. But we have a great example. Now, guys, this is not in your, in your Bible this morning, but if you're your own new version, you have you version on your phone or something, you can look up, or if you actually have a paper Bible. Some people still carry those, I understand. <laughs> if you have, yeah, Josh back there still got a paper Bible. If you have one of those, yeah, <laughs> you can turn to Luke chapter 4. This isn't in your notes, but I, I got to thinking about this, and I wanted to give you this story as a background for what we're talking about because it sets a precedent of how you deal with, with Satan and the way he tries to tempt us. This is the story of Jesus. Jesus was out in the wilderness, and he was fasting. He was worshiping God and looking for direction from him. And in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is out in the wilderness, and he's being tempted. And it starts like this. And I'm reading for the New Living Translation for this portion, guys, if you're wondering. It starts out in verse 1. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Now, I don't want to be tempted by him for 40 seconds, much less 40 days, because I'm pretty sure that would be hard to not give in. And Jesus ate nothing at all that, at that time and became very hungry. So the devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. One of the first ways that Satan often tempts us is with physical needs to be met. Now, certainly Jesus, being the Son of God, being equal with God, all being one and the same, could have made that stone into bread. But look how Jesus answered him. He said, nope, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, meaning there is more to life than just sustaining our physical needs. Well, that one didn't work. So the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a, in a moment of time. So he got to see everything in a, in a snapshot, all the kingdoms of the world. He said, I'll give you glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please, and I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Well, first of all, he's lying. They're not his. They belong to God the Father. God created all of these kingdoms. Every, he tells us even the, every head of cattle on the earth belongs to him. We're only, we're only taking care of this for God, but it all belongs to God. So he starts out with a lie, but then he says, in their mind, and I have the power to give it to them. If what, if you'll just worship me, if you'll if you'll take my advice and do what I say, Jesus replies to him. The Scripture says, "You must worship the Lord your God and serve only Him." Bigger picture there. What Jesus is saying is, don't let anything become more important than God the Father, than who God is, and realize that in your lives. Don't let Satan get in between that. He may promise you things that he can't deliver on. So finally, the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off, for the Scriptures say, He will, guard, he will order His angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. What kind of temptation is that, do you think? Somebody, does that sound like a dare? Ah, uh, yeah, now, now if we put in and we say, the devil says, I triple dog dare you to jump off that. Mm, the triple dog dare, the ultimate throwdown. What does that appeal to in us? The rebel, the pride, the things that we're, we're saying. Yes, by golly, I can do this. You watch me. Or as the famous redneck saying goes, hold my beer and watch this. And then horrendous results happen and you wind up on YouTube for everybody to see what you did. So Jesus not wanting to wind up on YouTube tells the devil... The scripture says, you must not test the Lord your God. And when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. 
Notice something? doesn't say he left him alone, does it? It says till he gets another opportunity. And that's going to be an important part of our, our teaching this morning as we go along, is to look at those opportunities and what they look like. But before we go into this morning's main teaching, I just want to give you that as a background, and let's have a word of prayer and ask for God to apply this to us. Father, I thank you. Thank you for each and every one here. Thank you for our friends and family that are gathered together this morning, God, to learn more about your word. Just pray that your spirit will be in this place this morning, and you will help us to apply these things, these, these ten things that Satan tries to trick us with. I know he's working against us this morning, God. I'm sure there's somebody here that needs to hear at least one, if not all, of these points. And the devil is working actively against them because he knows he's got them tricked right now, God. And I just pray that, that your spirit will fill this room and we will overpower the spirit that Satan has and the evil that he tries to portray upon us. And God, I just pray that you will help that to happen this morning, help us to have receptive hearts and help us to learn. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's jump right in. As, as they say on the Tonight Show, and such, these are in no particular order. Number one. The situation you are in is horrible, and God doesn't care, or he would have already fixed it for you. Ever been in that situation? You become discouraged. We have people that become depressed. We have so many things that happen in our lives, and we all think, God evidently does not care. Why would God let me go through these things if he really cares anything about me? You know, here I am, I've got either health problems, financial problems, relationship problems, all these things. And those are the three biggies, health, finances, and relationships where Satan attacks us. And he's going to tell us this bad situation you're in, obviously your God, he's up there and he's not listening because he doesn't care anything about you or he wouldn't let you go through this. Do you think that sounds scriptural? Does that sound like the God we worship? I don't think so. What Satan is doing is he's trying to convince us that we do not have a caring father in heaven. And, you know, and that's easier to imagine these days than it used to be. Many, many of us come from split families these days. Many of you out in the audience didn't have a father or didn't have a mother. You had a split family situation and you saw stress and strife there. <coughs> Excuse me. You may have never had a loving father. Really easy these days for Satan to pull this trick on us and tell us your father is a hateful being that doesn't care for you and so is your heavenly father. Easy for him to do because it's all around us in our relationships, in our, in, in our earthly bodies and the things that we see going on. We may have not known the love of a father. But look at First Peter chapter 5, verse 7. It says, casting all your anxieties on him, talking about God, because... He cares for you. It's pretty plain, isn't it? It's, it's amazing how if you will take Scripture at its simplest, easiest points, how clear it is sometimes. You don't have to worry, does God care about me? Yes, it says right here, because he cares for you. But what can you do there? It says you can cast all of your anxieties on him. This situation, whatever it may be that you're in, no matter how horrible it is, no matter how bleak it may look, no matter how much Satan is influencing you outside of this, you know, whatever it is, you know, Satan is trying to make you feel worse about it. And that causes anxiety. People even have anxiety attacks and think they have a physical illness. And it's just from the anxiety and dread in their lives. They don't know what to do with. And they start having breakdowns and anxiety attacks and all these things that, that hamper us in our day-to-day -day walk. And Satan delights in doing that. 
and puts those things in front of us to make us think it's even worse than it is and that God doesn't care. Now, now, me being a guy that likes racing in those things, and I know we've got some, some guys out here that are like, and I'm not talking about the kind of racing that Stacy was talking about where you have to run. I'm talking about where you drive, you know, the fun kind of racing. Herman and Stacy, we've got some, we've got some real athletes out here, and I admire what they do. Yeah, I was even thinking this morning, guys, putting a plug in for a 1040 Connections and the things they needed there, the, the athletic equipment and stuff, a treadmill. For some of y'all that aren't familiar, that's the thing in the corner of your bedroom that you've got all your clothes hanging on. You may have forgotten what it even was. So if you have one of those and would like to donate it, you'll just have to get some more hangers and make some space in the closet so you don't lose the, the functionality of it. But anyway, talking about racing, race car drivers, anxiety. So many times, I think I even wrote this in my blog recently, Guy's leading the race. He's got big gap between him and the rest of the field. What does he do? Starts hearing noises. What's that noise? Did they get that lug nut tight? What, what's that vibration? I, the, the car's not right. We're gonna, I'm going to crash. We're going to die. We're going to lose. Oh, no. Yeah. Never mind. What wasn't anything. It's anxiety. That's our minds, and with the devil's outside influence on us, conjuring up things and making it worse than what it really is. And man, that is so, so prevalent in our lives today because we don't really trust God sometimes because we don't think he cares, but he does. And when we have those anxious moments, we need to just turn it over to God because there's not a thing we can do with it anyway. Think about it. There's nothing you can do with that anxiety. The race car driver that's driving along, five laps to go. The, the, the lug nuts may be loose. Well, dude, you can't stop and get them tightened. You're not going to run back to the back of the car and do something about it. You've got to ride it out. And sometimes our anxiety, we just need to ride it out with God's help and get through it and let him help us through it because he does care. Number one lie of Satan is that God doesn't care about your situation. Number two, let's take the opposite side of this. The situation you're in is really not all that bad and you can fix it yourself. How many of you are fixers? How many of you fix things around your house? Take pride in it. Yeah, I fixed that. It doesn't work in your life. Well, sometimes it doesn't work around the house either. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Have you heard those commercials? This is the guy your husband would call if he wasn't trying to fix it himself. <laughs> There's a company that's actually their tagline. And, or the other one is after your husband's broken and he'll never know, call us and we'll fix it right. Well, some of us can fall into that category. We're fixers. We want to fix the situation. You know, I can take care of this. It's all, you know, I can do this. What that does to us is our pride starts to tell us that, hey, I've got this handled. I can take care of this. Um, especially see that in people that suffer from addictions and that kind of thing. Hey, I got this handled right now. It's not going to bother me. I'm not going to slip up again. I can take a drink. I can do this. You know, there are people in the world that can drink a beer and it doesn't affect them in the least. And there's people that can drink one beer and they will wind up unemployed and in a homeless shelter somewhere. There's a difference in us all, and all advice doesn't apply, and we're going to cover this in just a second. But for some people, that one temptation, that one thinking I can handle it can lead to disastrous results. I have a friend that, this is this is honest thing, and you remember my friend John, some of you may remember, he came to Journey when he was here in town. His downfall, and I will tell you today, is food stamps will pay for Red Bull, okay? So he could get him some Red Bulls and get him an energy drink or whatever and thought, man, this is great. You know what? He discovered that Red Bull was more expensive than beer. Guy had been on the wagon for 20-plus years and went back and started drinking and ruined his life because he wanted that little buzz and thought he could handle it. 
He said, it's been so long, I don't have a problem with that anymore. Next thing you know, he's stealing from his neighbors. Plus, he had some mental issues. He's stealing from his neighbors. He winds up in jail. He winds up in a halfway house in Murfreesboro. And as far as I know now, he lives on the streets in Nashville. Because the one thing, I can handle it. I'm okay. I can handle this. I don't need help. That is one of the biggest lies that the devil tells us. Uh, Listen to this, though, from Psalm 118.8. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. See what I'm saying there? It's one of those situations where, isn't it more comforting sometimes, and we've talked about this before, to get advice from other people than it is to wait on God. Yeah, I can do this. I can take care of this. I, you know, I'll, well, sure, my, my buddy over there, he goes out and has a drink. I can go out and do it. It won't affect me. We, we can go together. Instead of saying, God, I need your strength to get me through this situation. So many times we're relying on something because we do not take refuge in the Lord and we trust men. We just need to be careful about that. When we think we've got things handled, we need to remember that no, we do not, and God is the only one that's ever totally in control, and we need to take refuge in that fact and look to him for guidance. Number three, God cares about you, but he probably won't intervene in your life. And you believe this because you see so many unanswered prayers. That's a tough one. God cares about you. We've established that in point one. So let's say you don't struggle with number one, that God doesn't care about you. You know he cares. I know he cares, but he probably won't do this for me because I just see so many people praying it just doesn't come out right. That's a struggle, isn't it? I mean, have you ever prayed for something and as far as you could tell, God did not answer it? If God answered every prayer, would any of our loved ones ever die? And, I mean, think about it. Wouldn't, wouldn't we say, you know, if they're sick or something, something happens to them? God, please, I don't want them to leave this earth. I want them to stay here. I'd rather you just return and take us all at one time. I don't want to see them pass away. Nobody would ever die. It'd be like in the movie Bruce Almighty. Remember when Bruce starts answering all the prayers, yes, and everybody wins the lottery and everybody does this, and it creates total chaos in the world. Well, that's because sometimes we don't recognize God's answers. I, I think the thing is, I've heard this said many times, God's answer is often yes, no, or wait. And we really have trouble with that. We have problems that God, if he cares for us, his answer could be no. So how could a caring God answer no to your prayer? Could it be because he knows more than we do? Could it be because he has our best interest at heart? And we, we being the, the, the foolish people that we are, we believe that we, we know the answers. Kind of like the pride deal. Kind of like in number two there. We, you know, we, we've got this handled. We don't have a clue what's really going on around us most of the time. But God has this big picture, and he knows what is healthy for us and what helps us. And God also thinks of things in an eternal perspective. I want you to think of that this morning, too. It's not all about what's going on here in this, in this theater this morning and what your relationships and your health and your finances are. There's a much bigger picture that God has. You know, there's poor people, there's homeless people that are blessed and blessed more than us. You know. Our material wealth is not a sign of that. It's good. It's, there's nothing wrong with having that. But it doesn't mean that God has blessed one person over another. And we just need to think of that. But so much of us, we become discouraged. We become discouraged because our prayers don't bring instant gratification. You know, we talk about this often in society. You know, my microwave is too slow. You know, <laughs> you know things can't be fast enough. I mean, what would you do without the microwave? You would have to resort to old-fashioned cooking where it takes 
30 minutes to prepare something? Oh, my gosh, what would we do? You know, we're used to driving through what? The drive-through. We can't even get out of the car. You know, really, these days, you know, I would really like to just kind of slow down, have it pre-programmed in my, my Apple Watch, which I don't have, and you go by and you, you, you beep that there at the drive-through thing, you get your order, and by the time you go up to the window, they're loading it in your car. And you didn't even have to pay because it all came here. Man, that's how instantly we want to be gratified these days. We want things to happen instantaneously. We will not wait on anything. And many times, if we'll just wait, we'll see that answer that we didn't think God was giving if we're willing to wait for it long enough. And it'll happen. But, hey, no doubt, during that process, when we're waiting, it is extremely frustrating, extremely discouraging, and can even bring about depression if we're not willing to wait. Because we don't see that instantaneous answer. We want, we want to pray about something and God, bam, fixes it. You know, I want to be like, oh my goodness, here we are. We're fleeing from the Egyptians in the Old Testament. They're right on our heels with their chariots and horses. God, what am I going to do? Oh, let me part the Red Sea for you. And you walk across. That's how instant we want our prayers answered. We want one of those Red Sea moments, you know, Part the seed, take care of us right now, deal. And that's not the way God works most of the time. You know, think of how many, how few miracles are really recorded in the Bible. Yeah, they're tremendous, but think over the course of time how few those instances are over the thousands of years that the Bible represents, you know. So instant gratification is a problem for us. But what does the Scripture say about this? It says Psalms 27, verse 14. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage Wait for the Lord. Again, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. In other words, don't get discouraged in the situation. Know that God does care about you, and he will answer your prayers, but it just may not be on the time frame that you want them answered. You've got to wait on him and be strong in your faith, realizing he does care about you, and he will answer that, and he will answer it in your best interest. So, But don't give up praying about it. Another verse from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 He has made everything beautiful in its time. Notice, in its time. Although he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. What that means is, from beginning to end, not finding out what God has done. God is a lot bigger and a lot more complicated than any of us can ever imagine. We have no idea what God does. We can't comprehend that type of intellect, the things that God has going on in our best interest. We cannot comprehend what the answer to our prayers might even be. So why get discouraged and worry about it? Because we can't even figure it out anyway. If God was to lay it all out in front of us, we couldn't comprehend it. So why worry about it? Why want it instantly? Why not just trust him? Trust in God. Trust in him and wait on him. Number four. Here's a good one. I hear this one often. It's okay to sin because no one has ever gone through anything as bad as what I'm going through. You don't understand how bad my life is. I have a right to sin because my life sucks. Okay? Have you ever heard that from your friends? Hey, I, I, need, I need a bottle of wine every night. I need to go out and party. I need to do these things because it takes my mind off how horrible my life is and how horrible my relationships are and how bad my finances are. And I've just got to have an escape and get away. And I don't, I think God will understand. Some people may call it a sin. I just call it partying a little bit. You know, it's no big deal. You know, problem is we're trying to replace waiting on God, trusting in God and all those things with instant gratification and making ourselves feel better right now. And we think... How many of you ever thought that nobody's ever gone through what I'm going through? 
I think everybody's thought that at some point in time. No matter how trivial it may seem, you're thinking, I know nobody has had the, the workload that I've got, the family that I've got, the finances. I've, nobody could possibly understand this. Nobody has ever gone through this. I don't understand why God even makes this happen to me. But I know, what, is, what do we call that typically? Pity party? Self-pity, feeling sorry for yourself, everything, oh, woe is me, things are terrible, oh, you know, God's against me. You know, I, can, I heard Don talking over here, self-pity. Don, I, I think it's, don't you think it's awful you had to regrade your dirt at your barn twice? God just doesn't love you, does he? It's very unfair. God Could, could God not have held off the rain? You ask, well, what happened, dude? <laughs> But seriously, I mean, I thought about Don in that just when I heard his voice there. You know, he suffered loss because, and I don't have any idea, do you? But you're here today. Did you turn your back on God because your dirt got washed away? No. If, you know, so many of such a little thing in our lives, and it's a big deal sometimes. I'm not trying to trivialize Don's situation at all, but we'll turn our backs on God at the drop of a hat and say, I just give up. It doesn't matter what I do. I, it doesn't matter how good I am or whatever. I, I just can't do that. Listen to these verses. Hebrews four fifteen. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. It's talking about Jesus saying that he has been tempted in every way, in every respect, just like we are, but yet he didn't, but he didn't fall into sin. Okay. That verse blows my mind, and I have no clue what it's about. <laughs> okay? Let's be honest. Did, did Jesus even have a bulldozer? How can he be tempted to know what I'm feeling? How can he know what it's like to rent a bulldozer to do my work and get rained out when the dude didn't even have mechanical things in his life? I mean, seriously, think about it. Going back to this, my situation is different. You know, how could Jesus give me advice in my marriage if he wasn't married? How could he do that? How was he tempted? How could Jesus have been tempted in his relationship, in his marriage, to not stray and commit adultery or something of that nature if the dude wasn't even married? Guys, that is a mystery to me. But it's about not the specific sin, not the specific temptation, but it's about the frame of mind and the way you think about things. And that's where Jesus was tempted just like us. Because he walked as a man on the earth, and he was tempted yet didn't sin. That means that somehow, again, by faith, you have got to understand that Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. He may have not been through it. Obviously, he didn't have a bulldozer. Obviously, he didn't have a wife. Obviously, he didn't have the exact same set of circumstances. But somewhere, the emotions and the, and the things that are deep in our hearts that are causing that anxiety and things, Jesus felt that, okay? We see one example particular. Remember when he raises Lazarus from the dead story? Lazarus was one of Jesus' friends. He comes and they all prayed and everything. Lazarus' sisters prayed and he died. Well, first of all, that doesn't seem quite fair again, does it? Loved ones shouldn't die. They knew Jesus personally and they're praying and saying, you know, Jesus isn't here, but we know you can heal him. And boom, dude's dead. So Jesus comes to visit and they're like, Dude, where were you? He's dead. He's in the grave. He's like, oh, no, it's no, it's no big What do you mean it's no big deal? The guy's dead. You didn't answer our prayers. Remember the verse about Jesus weeping? This is where this comes in. And it wasn't because of the loss of his friend Lazarus. It was because he saw that people didn't understand the true message of what Jesus was preaching. 
they didn't understand the eternal ramifications of what, what our lives and our souls really meant. But he did go and he raised Lazarus from the dead. Is that not an amazing story? Do you not see the emotions that probably Jesus went through there? Disappointment, grief, things that we all go through. Jesus went through that. A strained relationship with his friends because he didn't do what they wanted him to do. Jesus went through all this in just that instant. So know that for sure that verse is true, that we have a high priest, not one that's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one in every respect who has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then also in Hebrews 4, verse 16, because of this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because we're confident that Jesus has not been in any way, any shape, form, or fashion, that he has been tempted any different than we are, that he he's been, has the same temptations. Because of that, let us have confidence in our prayers that we'll receive mercy and grace and help in our time of need, whether it's physical, financial, relationships, whatever it'll be, we can have confidence that Jesus will answer. Number five, other people fall into this kind of sin, but not me. I can handle it. We've kind of already talked about that one a little bit. The, you know, I can do this. I know you can't, but I'm not tempted by that type of sin. I can dabble in this sin. It won't, it won't, ever, it won't ever hit me. What do you think that's due to? Why would we think that? Pride arrogance i'm better than this you know i know you struggle with that sin i know it's, it's hard for you but hey i got it handled no we don't have it handled we can all fall in an instant without god's help and it is that pride and i like this from proverbs sixteen eighteen. i'm sure you've all heard this one pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall haughty spirit is arrogance so pride goes before destruction and haughty spirit before. You know, sometimes when we take that attitude, I think God just shows us by taking us down a notch or so. Now, does he do that to everybody? No, Donald Trump would be dead the first words that came out of his mouth, okay? If, if this happened, Donald Trump would just go boom and he would die and fall off the stage because he is an arrogant individual. Shark Tank would never have but one episode. If you've ever watched that show, they would come out and say, well, you're stupid and I know, and boom, they'd be dead because, you know, the pride and arrogance there. But no, God doesn't, but he can. He can take us down a notch or so. And people have lost. Donald Trump has lost his fortune before. Maybe God was trying to get his attention. I don't know. Don't claim to know. But pride goes before destruction and a haughty, arrogant spirit before a fall. Number six, live Satan. You've done things so horrible that you can't be redeemed and used by God. You're too dirty. You're too messed up. You have trashed your life. Your reputation is so horrible, God can never use you. That is one of the biggest lies that Satan tells people that want to come to church every Sunday. You don't, you can't come. People know what, they saw what you did this week. They know what your relationship's like. They know what you've done. Somehow that just reminded me of a funny thing I observed on vacation this week. I, I posted it on, on Facebook. Father talking to his son says, I lie to a lot of people, but I wouldn't lie to you, son. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's how horrible. Can that guy go to church on Sunday? I don't know. You know, I lie to everybody, but I don't lie to you, son. I'm I'm not like that. You know, we're horrible people. And say, what do you think? What do you think would happen to that man? And I use this as an example. If he walked into here this morning, what do you think the first thing that Satan's whispering in his ear? 
You know, you lied to your little boy. You lied to your little boy. You know you do. You've lied to him before. You, you, you can't come to church. God will strike you dead if you walk in here. Or as they'll say, the roof will fall in if you go to church. You're so horrible. You're awful. You can't come to church. And if you did come to church, what are you going to do? They're going to find out about you. They're going to realize how bad you are. They're going to know the things you God read your Facebook page. Whoa, that's a bad one, isn't it? He saw what I posted. Ooh, I shouldn't have posted that one. I didn't think about that. I didn't even friend God, but somehow he found out. Man, he's good. That's what that omniscient thing does is that God can see your Facebook even if you don't friend him. Yeah, that's the way he is. But God knows what we've done. But the thing is, Christ redeemed himself for us. Listen to this verse. Titus chapter 2. Talking about Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The main thing I want you to see in this verse is that Jesus gave himself so that we could be redeemed from all lawlessness, all lawlessness, all sin, meaning nothing you have done is too bad to separate you from God. There's only one thing that can do that, and that is you turning your back on God willfully and saying, I want no part of you in my life. And he'll still continue to pursue you. He'll still, there'll be things you'll see. But that is the only way you can separate yourself from God. You cannot do something so bad. One of my favorite examples of that is the Apostle Paul, who we call him now. He used to be known as this guy called Saul from Tarsus. And when Christianity was young, and had his birth there in the Jewish nation, he was going around and he was having people stoned to death because they said they believed in Jesus and he didn't believe that was right. Saul, you know, it says, giving you a specific example, it says he held their coats so they could go and get the stones and get a good rare back throw at those people and kill them. He was consenting to the death of Christians. Christians were martyred and killed for their beliefs. And Saul was the one responsible for it. He was so horrible. He hated Christians so much that God redeemed him from all lawlessness, all sin, and he wrote a major part of the New Testament of the Bible. If God can forgive that man, do you not think he can forgive us? Do you really think you've done anything more horrible than that? I can't imagine anything more horrible than that. Again, Satan tries to trick us. You're too bad to be used by the church. You're too dirty. You know, one of the ones we, it's a big joke around here now is about tattoos. I have seen churches that would tell you, God can't use you because you've marked yourself up and it's awful. And now what are you going to do? Oh, baloney. You know, God can use anybody anytime he cares to. If he can, he can use wicked people that oppose him for his purposes. I know he can use a Christian who wants to be used. Don't you think so? I mean, if he want, if you want to be used, God can use you. So just mark that as one of the number one lies of Satan is you've done something so bad he can't use you. Every one of you sitting out here today can be used somehow for God. It may be little, it may be big, but he can and will use you. Number seven. God is going to punish you for what you've done. Hey, we've probably even told our kids that God's going to get you for that. <laughs> you don't have any, you shouldn't have done that. The problem is there's some truth in that part of that, in part of that. Listen to this. Galatians chapter six, verse seven. Do not be deceived. God's not mocked for whatsoever one sows that he will also reap. Get a little complicated there with that. 
some of that's talking about our physical lives. You know, if we do things that are going to ruin our health, we're going to reap that. You know, if I, you know, if I become an alcoholic and ruin my health, you know, if I, I do other things that are harmful to my health, whatever it may be, if I don't take care of my finances, I reap what I sow. If I get out here and I buy things I can't afford, I may reap what I sow in bankruptcy. You know, if if I if I treat my health too lightly and don't do at least some right things, I may suffer health consequences because of that. You know, those sort of things. You know, you reap what you sow. But then you look at Paul and you're like, but how is that? What did Paul suffer? I don't really know. I don't have an answer for exactly what he suffered. And you know what? Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. I can't explain that either. I can only tell you what Scripture says about it. And because of that, I think we put way too much emphasis on that. Because listen to John 3.17. Y'all know John 3.16? Who wants to say it? Everybody start. Somebody start it. Good job, guys. Thank you. We, we Everybody... So many people were quote. Does anybody know John three seventeen? No, we stop at sixteen. But listen at seventeen. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The main thing I want you to see there is God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it. God is not sitting up there waiting to punish you. That is not what God lives for. That's some crazy idea we've gotten from mythology and science fiction and all this sort of thing. That there's a God up here and he sits and he waits for you to do something. He's just going to smack you down every time you do something wrong. He's just waiting for you. He's going to go, smack! You know, give you the slap on the back of the head. Yeah, you shouldn't have done that. Wait, you're going to get punished for that, big boy. I saw saw your Facebook post. I saw, you don't think I saw it? Yeah, you're going to have an awful week because of what you just said, young man. No, God is not, God is a loving God and he didn't send Jesus here to condemn it. God already knew we were going to mess up enough on our own. We didn't need assistance from anybody else and somebody slapping us down and that we would feel bad enough about it that he wanted to send a redeeming savior to take care of it for us. He wanted to send somebody not to condemn us for what we've done, but to save us because of what we've done. Isn't that a big difference? Instead of wanting to condemn us, he came to save us because he knew we'd do it. Man, that's a fantastic promise from God that he's not here to condemn us. Man, it just floors me how we stop at John three sixteen when there's so much goodness in verse 17. The real key to 16 is 17 of why he came. Number eight. You attend church and offer your time and money, so you're a good Christian. Well, isn't that true? Yes, but matter of fact, don't forget at the end of the service, if you want to be a good Christian, we will have the little gray bucket here so you can prove it to me. And the more you give, the better Christian you are. That sounds like a TV evangelist, doesn't it? And I'll throw a sweaty hanky in for nine ninety five. <laughs> I mean, seriously, guys. You know, we we see these things and we, we think, oh, yeah. That's, I want to evaluate myself. I want to be one of those good Christians. Well, you know, you look at this. Bible tells us, Romans 3.10, it's written, none is righteous, no, not one. Where we get into trouble is we should only compare ourselves to Jesus and not to others. There may be Christians out there that don't attend church every Sunday. (gasps) 
That's not possible, Don says. So what were you doing that week you were working in Jacksonville and St. Augustine, young man? Oh, so you turned in your Christian card those weekends, didn't you? Yeah. Now we know what happened. Don was out sinning. (laughs) Seriously, though, we judge on external appearances and not the heart. And God judges the heart. He looks on the inside of us to determine if we're a good Christian or not. Now, yes, God does command us to not forsake getting together and worshiping. He does command us to give and tithe to the church. But he isn't waiting to smack you down when you miss a Sunday. That's not how we judge it. There are people, you know, that attend every Sunday and give every week, and they're going to go to hell because they don't know who Jesus Christ is, and they've never really accepted what he did for them. They've never taken that look inside themselves and realized, I am lost and need a Savior, and without you, Jesus, I will go to hell, and I need to rely on you and what you did for me, that that was sufficient, that you can restore my relationship with God the Father. People every week sit and think they're good deeds. And one of their good deeds they think is attending church or helping the poor or whatever it will be. You see this in Christian celebrities too. Have you seen that? Somebody comes out and says, I believe in Jesus now. Okay? Prove it. The Bible tells us the fruit of what we do proves that we're Christians. And that comes out of the heart and goes forth into the world. And it'll be readily. It's not based on your church attendance and things. It's based on your outlook of your entire life. You know, and don't get caught up in that comparing yourself to others. You know, and, and, I, and I laugh at Don because I know his business and, and, and know him as a friend and know that he has to be out of town sometimes. But don't take that also as a reason. God's got a different life for Don than he does for me. That doesn't excuse me that, well, Don's out of town this weekend. It shouldn't be important that I go. I mean, people, we do that. We compare ourselves to, yeah. Uh, Don over there, God seems to be blessing him okay. You know, uh, they're, they're doing all right for themselves. So I guess it's okay if I don't come to church. All of our situations are unique and our circumstances are different, but God's expectations are very much the same for all of us. But, you know, we, we just don't need to compare ourselves to each other. And you know what that comparison leads to? Number nine, God says no one should judge anyone else. Man, I am tired of that one. How many of y'all are tired of that one? If you've got Facebook, that's the number one one is number nine. Ooh, you can't judge. Well, but the Bible says, oh, you're judging people. The Bible says you can't do that. Yeah, but this guy over here, he raped little children. Oh, you can't judge him. You can't do that. Well, but they they robbed him. Oh, you can't judge that. You know, their lifestyle. Oh, you can't judge their lifestyle. Oh, they like, you can't judge that. Do you hear that often about how we can't judge things? Listen to this verse. It says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. You know who, that, you know who that's talking to there in Luke chapter 6 verse 37? It's talking about the church. That's talking about those of us that have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, know that he died for our sins in our place, was raised on the third day. We identify ourselves as Christians. He has a different set of expectations for those of us within the church as opposed to those outside the church, okay? Inside the church, outside the church. There's two sets of standards. You're like, but God's the same everywhere. He has more expectations of us in the church than he does of those outside the church. As a church, we have gotten this backwards and have really fouled this one up. Because listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12 says, 
For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Well, does that not say we're to judge within the church? But a minute ago it says judge not. This is showing us combining these verses. And again, you have to take the Bible as a whole. You can't pick and choose verses, okay? You've got to have some understanding and and some, some knowledge about what this is talking about. When we're talking about judging outsiders... They don't have Christ in their lives. They don't know how Christians are supposed to act. They don't have the same values as us. Of course they look different and act different because they're not of God's people yet. Now, what we do is for some reason is we think people that don't know Jesus should act like Christians. And we think that once you've got Jesus, he forgives everything and it's okay no matter what you do. Is that not the truth? We judge those outside the church. You need to act like a Christian. But once you get in the club, you can do whatever you want. And it's okie-dokie because we're not going to say anything about it because we can't judge. But that guy out there, he's horrible because, you know, he's like that Caitlyn Jenner guy, girl, whatever she is. But this guy over here, you know, he doesn't support his family. He's a drunk. He does this. Oh, but he loves Jesus, so he's okay. Is that not the craziest thing? God has standards for us as Christians, and they're found throughout the Bible. It can be the Ten Commandments. You can go throughout other passages of Scripture. God has things He expects of us. He expects us to give of our time, of our talents, of our our gifts, our money. God expects us to attend church. God expects us to love on the homeless and the unlovable. God expects us to invite those from our community in to come into here and learn about Him. God has so many expectations for the church He expects us to marry one man or one woman and commit to them for life. (gasps) Do we ever say anything about that? No, our divorce rate is the same as everybody else because we don't take things seriously anymore. We want to condemn the world while we live like it. Isn't that something? We want to condemn the world while we live just like it. And that's the reason people have little use for us as Christians in the world today is because they think we're hypocrites and we don't know what we're talking about. It's a shame, but that's one of the big things the devil uses to trip us up. And as soon as you say anything, if you're out there and, and people in the world, yeah, you can say there's things that are morally right and wrong. We all know that. But when people have a negative reaction to you, don't worry so about it. They're not Christians. They don't understand where you're coming from and don't get all down about it. But when you have a brother or sister in Christ who is continually sinning and nobody points it out, somebody needs to. King David was guilty of that in the Old Testament. Do you know how King David got to where he, the point he was? One of them was lust. King David goes out on the rooftop and he sees this young girl over here bathing. Why are you bathing on the rooftop unless you want somebody, you know, that's like posting on Facebook. Why are you over here doing this and you don't want to? He looked at my picture and had a dirty thought. You know, why do you post that kind of stuff then if you're not asking for people to have that thought about you something to think about but anyway he's out here looking at Bathsheba on the rooftop and he lusts after her. he finds he has her sent and he goes he has sex with her and oh no now she's oh no now what am I going to I'm going to have her husband killed and it goes down all this path of things that are terrible that he did finally he had someone speak up in his life and, it, and he came to terms with it and God came to terms with David you know what started all that what started all this mess for David you know what the Old Testament, and this is a lot, a lot of people don't know. There are a lot of things in the Old Testament that we don't, we don't read and we don't, we don't understand the, the situation because it was a different culture. In the Old Testament, it was common to have multiple wives and things like that, especially for kings. They had that. You know what God said about the kings of Israel? You're neither to multiply wives or horses. 
Horses were collateral. Horses were like money. So the things that you're not to multiply are wives and horses. David had done both. And you know what anybody had said to him? Nothing, because he was the king. He was above all that. So nobody ever said anything to David, and he got by with it until he fell so deeply in sin he couldn't get out because nobody on the inside would judge him as an insider should. Nobody would say to him, you know, you're messing up. And we need to be honest with each other as Christians. When we see a brother or sister messing up, you don't have to go and stick your finger in their face, but you have to say, I know something's, something's off in your life. Can I help you in any way? And that's what could have happened with King David, but it was too late. Number 10, the final one. I think the biggest one that Satan uses against us is you must never forget your past because it defines you. I'm all about what happened in my past. Whatever I did, I can't, just like we talked about a minute ago, you've messed up so bad you can't be used. You may can be used, but everybody remembers your past, and you remember your past, and you just can't do that. There's no way you can do that. You need to remember that. Every day you need to sit down and think about what you've done and how bad it was. Uh Uh-uh. That's not what God says. Listen about God's relationship. God doesn't allow our past to define our relationship with him. God is about the moment in our relationship with him, not what we did in the past. God is about what you want to do today. What is your desire to be with God today? How do you want your relationship to go with him? Listen to this, Micah chapter 7. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot, and he will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. That sin is gone. It's not just swept under a rug. It's not just trodden underneath. It's gone. As far as God is concerned, when we confess that sin, we believe that Jesus Christ suffered a penalty and died because of that sin, but we want to be forgiven of it, and with God's help, we will not do that again. We are restored with fellowship with God, and that past is as if it didn't exist. It's buried in the depths of the sea. And every Sunday, some of us come in here dragging that past with us. We call it baggage. We call it lots of things. You know what? The past is past. I'm not saying you can't learn from it, but it doesn't define who you were. You know, especially if sometime in that process you came to know Christ. You may have had four bad marriages or five or six or seven bad relationships, But you came to know Christ, and after that, you learned a different way. Those things aren't held against you. That doesn't define who you are today. You know what a relationship looks like today because you have God in your heart, and you understand these things. So it's a far different thing. God doesn't hold these these things of the past against us. They're buried and cast as sins into the depths of the sea. But now watch out, guys. Watch out. You've got these top ten things now, and they'll be available on new versions and stuff. We may even post them on the blog for you to look at later. You've heard these top ten things. You know what's going to happen when you get out in the world this week? Satan's going to take those top ten and say, which one can I get him with today or her? Let me see. I think I'll pick number six. And all of a sudden, he's done that. And you know why? Final verse from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil. Remember, he's an adversary. He is our enemy. Prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's looking to eat you up. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Other people are suffering just like this. Satan's trying to trip them up. And our prayers together against him can change the world. And after you have suffered a little while, 
the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, listen to these points. This is what God will do when you come to him. And after a little while of suffering, he will do this. He himself, God himself, will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He knows that Satan's trying to trick us, and he knows we're going to fall for it sometimes. But he is also ready and willing to restore us, our relationship, confirm our relationship, strengthen us, and establish it if it needs to be. And God is ready and willing to do that for everyone here this morning. Each and every one of you, God cares about you. He knows your situation. He knows what you're suffering for. You've not gone through anything different than anybody else. God 100% understands your situation this morning. Now, no matter how trivial it may seem or how horrifically insurmountable it may seem, God understands that. He cares for you. And we need to pray that he will guide us through those. Let's do that right now. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you. I thank you for everyone here in attendance this morning, God. We thank you for, for, for the scriptures and how just as Jesus combated Satan in the wilderness, we can combat him by, by simply putting these scriptures in our heart, God, and, and learning what you would have us to know. And when these, these ten things, and there's more than ten, God, there's a multitude of things that, that, that Satan tries to trick us with. But we can come to you in prayer and remember these verses and, and ask you to guide us this week, God. As, as things, we're tempted. We're tempted to be discouraged or, or, or not want to be used by you or think we're not good enough. And so many things that we go through in our lives, God, but or to think that we're too good and this can't happen to us. God, we just pray this week that we will be guided and we'll bring these verses back to memory, Lord, and that we will be able to defeat our adversary, Satan, with the help of the Holy Spirit, God. And I just pray that... That happens this week for all those here in attendance this morning. And God, if someone here doesn't know how to have a relationship with Christ, Lord, I pray before they leave this building, they'll commit their lives to him, Lord, and begin a, a fantastic new journey with him by their side, God. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen.